Hey everybody, welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes. I'm glad to be back with you guys. We spent a few weeks traveling, um, allowing what I feel like has been some of the best podcasts we've put out, the, the Terry Fakes Leadership Podcasts. I've enjoyed those. If you didn't get to hear those, head back to the last couple of weeks and, and listen. But we're back to uh, interviewing. We're back to talking about something I'm pretty passionate about, and I'm really excited to introduce you guys to our guest today. One of my best friends in the world. We started out as college roommates. We probably should we probably should do a podcast just on that, <laughs> but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, I've got Blake Schwane here on the podcast, and Blake, I wanted to talk to you about something that gets overlooked a lot in the Christian world, but is right at the center of the mission of the church, which is engaging the workplace. And so whatever label we want to put on that, sometimes we call it the intersection of faith and work. Sometimes it's the focus of uh, next gen or young professionals ministry, young adults ministry. Sometimes it's just trying to incorporate Sunday into Monday. And whatever umbrella we want to put that under, I feel really passionate as a person, but also for so we speak, that we want to engage people in what they do for the majority of their time when they're not at church. So I wanted to ask you, you've taught on this, you've spoken about it. I know it's something that we've talked a lot about. How did you get interested in faith and work in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. So after, well, I guess rewind to when you and I were in college, I sat down with a friend of mine who is a serial entrepreneur and he was wrestling through similar questions. And mm-hmm. he asked the question, if I love God, do I have to go into ministry? You know, my two best friends ended up in full-time ministry. Two mm-hmm. guys that I respect most as godly men. And so I was asking a similar question, but I didn't really, I guess it just came out of me saying, I don't know if I should go into ministry, so I'm going to go into business. Did you, you feel pressure at any point for that? Or did you just know that you needed a new set of expectations and vision for what your life would look like. I think I felt a little bit more pressure to go into ministry, Mm -hmm. but everything I had grown up experiencing was not ministry related. And I thought just from a logic perspective, I thought it's probably easier to go from marketplace to ministry than opposite with my Mm -hmm. degree. So I have various mechanical and aerospace engineering. And I just, I thought taking time off to do Ministry. If I ended up going back into industry, it'd be really challenging to get back. Right. No, I think that's really true. And and when you're in ministry and you're you're trying to prepare people, especially doing college ministry, high school ministry, something like that. One of the things I used to tell our people all the time was, you know, there's a pressure if you feel like you've really engaged well in college ministries. I think about parachurch ministries, do an incredible job of getting people roped in, talking about discipleship, talking about missions, talking about how to grow. There's a pressure that you feel if you've really engaged with that to go into full-time ministry to continue that work. And what I always used to tell people is like that that, uh, that commercial that they had for the NCAA a couple years ago where you see the guy and he's in his soccer uniform, but he's doing surgery. And then they have like an accountant that has a football helmet on or something. And at the end of the commercial, it says 99% of us go pro in something other than sports. Right. And it's talking about the importance of what college is actually for, which is education and job training and all that. Well, the same is true in the church world. 99% of the church goes pro in something other than church. Mm-hmm. And so we want to prepare people well. And part of that is distinguishing, I think, between being ministered to, growing, doing good ministry and deciding on whether or not you want to go into capital M mm-hmm. ministry, vocational right. ministry, working for a church. 
Yeah, I, I think you make a good point about the, the pressure piece. And I think part of that is because the nature of, even now, the, the nature of how I have conversations about other job opportunities is through my network and through the people that I know. Right. And if in college or wherever you're at, you're investing in ministries like that and you enjoy it and you're good at it, those are the people you know. So they say, hey, I, I really think you should consider working full-time at this camp that we've worked at mm-hmm. or at this ministry that we've worked at or come do this uh, this kind of gap year program or of some sort. And that's not bad, but I think what it makes, uh, especially probably younger theologians or younger believers think is that this is God's will for my life mm-hmm. because there's an opportunity. Right. And the reality is that if you read Kevin DeYoung's book, um, just do something, which mm-hmm. has been hugely formative for me mm-hmm. is if it's not against scripture, and it's wise, which there are some things we could go into to talk about that. Um, your last step in evaluating what you should do is just answering the question, what do you want to do? What do you enjoy? So there are things I enjoy. I enjoy science and technology. So I work in an engineering company. I enjoy real estate. So I do real estate investing on mm-hmm. the side. That's just kind of my hobby. And mm-hmm. I, I do those things because they're really fun and they pass the litmus test for those decisions. So mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, if, if you're someone listening to the podcast and that's, you feel that's a pressure, you don't really want to do ministry, but you feel like you should, mm-hmm. I think you should prayerfully consider and consult some, some wise guidance mm-hmm. about whether or not you really should, or if it's just kind of an arbitrary pressure that you're putting on yourself. Right. So if you're dealing with that, you're grappling with that as a young man, you're 23, 24 years old, and you do want to set out into the workplace you've trained for it, you've got a good job, you start, what kind of things were going on in your mind and in your heart that led you to begin to think more about how to use your connections, use your network, use your job that you had for ministry? That's a good question because when I jumped into, after this conversation that I mentioned earlier, you know, if I want to glorify God, mm-hmm. do I have to go into full-time ministry or vocational ministry per se? When I got into work, I ended up working at, I work at kind of a tech company in Austin, Texas, and I do sales for them now, Mm -hmm. sales and business development. And, but when I first got there, it has a really cool culture. So there's kind of a honeymoon stage because you're working at a cool place. Yeah. But that wears off pretty quickly. So after three or four months, I'm asking some very purpose oriented questions like, why do I work? And I came up with a few different initial perceptions. One was... You know, I'm here exclusively to make disciples for an, for a disciple-oriented and evangelistic revolution, basically. Mm-hmm. And But then you get three, six months in, and you don't have any disciples made. And even if you have been investing in someone, it's hard to quantify what discipleship actually is. Yeah. So you get discouraged, and you say, I guess I'm terrible at work. Or then I kind of went into being a sender. Uh-huh. I, I exist to be a sender, but that trivialized my work into a twice a month value. Mm-hmm. So I could help people that were doing the real ministry on either locally or on the other side of the world. Yeah. But I wasn't actually glorifying God in my work. I was only helping them glorify God and was kind of a means to the end. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, some others were providing for a family, but I was a young single mm-hmm. and I didn't have a kid or a wife that I was trying to provide for, so really I didn't have to. Right. And then I ended up getting down to, well, it's sustenance and kind of a product of the fall. Mm-hmm. And um, and what I, what I learned was really, really encouraging on that front is that 
work actually is not a product of the fall. It's mm-hmm. pre-fall. If we look in Genesis 1 and 2, right. different accounts, we see that all throughout Scripture, we see God giving us commands, and then we look back, and he's already modeled them for us. Mm-hmm. You know, think about Luke 9 and Luke 10, when Jesus commissions the 12 and the 72. Right. Luke 1 through 8, he's doing all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's not just telling them what to do and saying, go cut your teeth on it. He walked alongside with them to do it. And that's what God did for us in the beginning when he modeled work for us. And then he said, okay, now go do it. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a core revelation for me that was really encouraging to me. Right. Yeah, it sounds like what you're trying to isolate there is the question that runs through your mind, what, what is work? What is the nature of work? And I like that you listed those because I think those are some pretty common perceptions. Either work is a necessary evil, product of the fall, just a way to provide, um, the way that you conceive of yourself in work as, is my work a ministry? Is my work to fund ministry? Is my work to propel ministry? Um, so you grapple with the essence of work itself. And I, it was, it was the same kind of mindset shift when I read for the first time, I think every good endeavor mm-hmm. by Tim Keller talking about how actually if we look back at how we were designed, work is the first institution that we're given in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You have marriage and you have work pre-fall. And what kind of things do we learn as we read through that account or as we begin to see that pathway through scripture in the dignity of work? Well, I think you can find everybody's wired differently. So you have some people that are very detail-oriented, like making processes. You have some people that are very vision-oriented. And you can see all of those different types of skills and strengths in the very beginning. So one of my favorite things to think of is when when God says uh, to Adam to um, kind of cultivate the earth and um, tend to keep the earth. Mm -hmm. That idea of cultivation is like kind of our understanding of organizing or putting in order. So taking raw materials mm-hmm. and putting them in order such that they have greater utility. Right. So you think, it, you know, in Neanderthal days, you take a rock, no utility, you kind of round it out, now you got a wheel. Uh-huh. And for us now, we take raw materials, we make it into silicon, it goes in our phones, and now we have computers <clears throat> that sit in our pockets, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, that was really helpful for me to see because that's, Fundamentally, a lot of what I'm doing as a sales and business development consultant in research with scientists, engineers, and researchers. Mm-hmm. So I'm helping them put the world's materials in the right order right. Uh, to have to grow better value. And then there's others that make processes that uh-huh. help companies run more efficiently, or even or nonprofits run more effic- efficiently, provide greater access to. Um, low-income housing for people that wouldn't be able to do it themselves. So yeah. that is really helpful for me, and I really resonate with that. Yeah, definitely. And and when you look at the in the beginning of the biblical narrative in Genesis, you see that God commands Adam and Eve to work the garden and to keep it, to cultivate it, to reign over it. In in a lot of ways, what we see in Genesis is that. Adam and Eve have become the sub-regents over creation. Mm-hmm. And so they are ruling over it. They're benevolently ruling over it. Um, because what they're trying to do, as you mentioned, is to cultivate mm-hmm. something. And so sometimes we, we refer to this as the cultural mandate in Genesis 2, that, that God assigns a mandate to build culture from the garden onwards. Mm-hmm. And to look at the big scope of the Bible, we see that 
the storyline of the Bible begins in a garden, a garden temple, and it ends in a city. And so the pathway there is not accidental. It's, mm-hmm. it's a pathway of expand the garden to fill all of the earth, that God's presence would dwell on all the earth. Now, obviously, we have sin come in, and that changes things when it comes to work. And it doesn't thwart God's plan. We still end up in the city at the end. But what changes about work after the fall as we experience it. So, so most of us have never experienced pre-fall work, which would be incredible. <laughs> right. um, and I wish we had. Right. But what changes or what implications do we deal with because of the fall when it comes to work? Yeah. When I This is usually the first and most significant point that I use or that I bring up mm-hmm. and hit home whenever I teach is that, and it's two-parted. First is what I mentioned earlier, that work is inherently good. We yeah. talk about that and discuss it from a biblical foundation. And then but is made more difficult because of sin. Hmm. So the nature of work hasn't changed itself, but it's become more difficult. There are thorns and thistles. It wars against us now. Right. So the, the illustration I use, and this is pretty broad, um, many have likely heard it, is of a mir- that of a mirror. Uh-huh. So a mirror, its prime function is to return what is put into it. So you look into it and you see how good looking you are, right? Mm-hmm. And or in my case, you know, maybe not quite <laughs> as good looking. But but if it if it breaks, its primary function isn't different. Its purpose isn't different. It just doesn't do it as well. Yeah. It's not as effective at it. But you can still use it in some ways. You just have to kind of adjust around. Mm-hmm. Um, so it understanding that work is inherently good, but it's been more, made more difficult because of sin. Mm-hmm. When you experience those difficulties, which we do very often, um, it allows you to better understand how, why you're pushing through and what you're doing, because that, that's the process of cultivating the work mm-hmm. that God's given us. Yeah, definitely. And when I think about most of the jobs that in industries that we could survey, there's a really important discovery process of learning how what you're doing actually contributes to the mission we were given in the garden. However remotely it might seem, depending on what you're building or what you're making or who you're taking care of or who you're serving or who your client is, um, I think it's important to trace those things back and say, actually, this is a biblical endeavor mm-hmm. that, I'm, that I'm working towards. Yeah. Now, there are jobs, obviously, that um, don't have as close a connection to organizing or cultivating or something. And, and that can be really discouraging too. What, what I think we've done at some points in the church, not, not always, but at some points what we've done is, is make people feel like if you cannot see an immediate ministry impact in your job, then that job is in some way subpar, it's mm-hmm. JV compared to working in ministry professionally or one where that you have really open and, right. and accessible discipleship opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to speak a little bit to uh, people in the workforce broadly about how you find a biblical purpose in work that doesn't seem very biblically purposeful. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's a fair feeling. In fact, I've felt that before. I have a, a number of friends and colleagues that do feel that. And so it's just first to say it's fair to feel that. Um, but it's also the feeling of that and the experience of it should help lead us to evaluating whether it's true. Mm-hmm. And what we've done from a cultural perspective is we've kind of, particularly Western Christianity, we've kind of tiered the value of each job or role. Right. And every 
culture does this. Mm-hmm. For example, you and I have a really good friend that just married a, uh, a girl from South Africa. So mm-hmm. Ben and Arlene got married. And Ben is a lawyer, which over in the United States is incredibly prestigious. You know? Right. And really sharp. If a woman brings home a lawyer, the parents are usually pretty happy. Right. In South Africa, they're not thought well of. Yeah. They're very, very low. So she kind of had to explain to them that this is a good thing. Right. And we that's done in cultures all over the place, but we've also done it within the Christian context. Mm-hmm. And at the top is the person in the 1040 window mm-hmm. and the, the person that's with the unreached. Right. And, and I... I see why that happens, Mm -hmm. but as far as God's desire for our lives, he does not dictate that each of us becomes that. We do need to support those people, and we want them to be able to show those that have never heard about God and God's goodness. But it is is really discouraging to think that your work doesn't have any, I guess, spiritual purpose. Right. Um, What Tim Keller taught, how he addresses this in Every Good Endeavor is... Uh, called the ministry of competence, mm. that all good work, all work done well glorifies the Lord. Right. All good work, non-sinful, done well glorifies the glorifies the Lord. Right. And the best, one of the best ways you can minister to your colleagues is by doing your job really well. Right. Yeah. So if I slack off and don't do my job, my coworkers end up having to pick up my slack. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I transition accounts, book, book of accounts, and someone has to come after me, and I haven't generated business for them to pick up and continue with, they're not. They're gonna have a really hard time meeting their quota or their commission right. for the next two or three quarters because our our business cycle is pretty long. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, you you even think about that from a um, uh, from a uh, a more service industry level. If yeah. you do your job poorly as a server. Mm-hmm. It is very, very felt. And if you do it really well, it can make someone's day. Yes. And the the art and gift of helping someone smile mm-hmm. is is a different type of gift. Mm-hmm. So from the CEO to the server, all of those, that's not a pyramid of value. It's a almost just a flat linear line of different kinds of values mm-hmm. in the way that God serves each of us through the strengths of others. Yeah, I think it's helpful to think of, of work as a continuum mm-hmm. of different gifts mixed together than a pyramid right. of more and less valuable in the mm-hmm. kingdom of God. I've always liked the the comment that Luther made when somebody asked him, how do you work as a Christian shoemaker? Mm-hmm. And he said, make a great shoe sell it at a fair price. Right. That's what that's one of the components of, of being a Christian who is a shoemaker. Right. Not cheating people, making a good product, doing your best, glorifying God through excellence. And not even you don't even have to put little crosses on it. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it doesn't have to just be make a really great shoe. Evangelistic. Right. 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 And uh, when I think about industry, when I think about people doing a good job, one of the underlying principles here that we're assuming that I just want to put my finger on is ministry, the Great Commission, however, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, however we want to phrase this, all of that comes down to people. It's about people. Now, it's also about systems, and we want to be sensitive to systems, but it really, it's all about people. So if you have any job that, that you rub shoulders with people at all, mm-hmm. then there's ministry opportunity there. Mm-hmm. And doing an excellent job is going to be one of the ways that you begin to open a door that might lead to conversations, it might lead to influence, it might lead to the ability to speak into somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Um, so just at the lowest level, 
if you have interaction with others, doing a good job is always going to set you on a good foot mm -hmm. uh, for the relational equity you're building and then for the corporate and professional equity that you're building. Mm -hmm. I think of the proverb where it says, do you see a man who's good at his job? That one will stand before kings. Mm -hmm. And you're like, uh, I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's literally true. There's a lot of people out there that are really good at their jobs that don't get noticed. But I think what that proverb is communicating is the more you learn your craft, the better you do at your job, the more you pour yourself into a set of skills that you're learning, the greater your impact and influence has the potential to mm -hmm. be, yeah. um, even up to standing before kings. So I would, I would come along and encourage and just say, no matter what your job is, or no matter how far you think, how many degrees of separation from ministry you feel like you are, doing a good job may not be the world's most satisfying answer. Right. But I think it's one of the most important ways right. to start. Right. And I think that, you know, that proverb helps us understand it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be a selfish motive to get better at your craft, to mm -hmm. become a great salesperson right. or to be, and even in sales, being in sales doesn't mean you have to be um, manipulative. It doesn't mean that you have to do it poorly um, in an unkind and unhelpful way. Mm -hmm. But being becoming really good at your craft is a really good thing. It's not it's not a bad thing to have career desires and goals and try and get better at it. Mm -hmm. So when you're teaching on this, when you're coaching, when you're organizing things for Christians to come together and talk about work, what are the other things that you hit? What are the things that, that you want people to know? Yeah. Well, it, one kind of dovetails off of what we were just talking about, which is one way to minister to your coworkers is to just be really good at your job. Mm -hmm. And that builds some corporate equity, it builds some relational equity, hopefully it builds some financial equity so you can pay for food and your lodging and your family right. and whatnot. But the other part is another way that you minister to your coworkers is you tell them about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, we grew up with a common saying that was, uh, share the gospel always and if necessary, use words. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the time, almost all of the time, the way that people hear the gospel is that someone speaks it to them. Yeah. So sometimes God will use dreams and visions but yes. often, and I've even encountered guys that have had dreams in, right. in the United States, in Austin, Texas, but most often it's his ambassadors, mm -hmm. his kingdom of priests that are speaking it to others. Yeah, we, we've talked about that phrase on the podcast before. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll try and figure out what episode that was in and link mm -hmm. to it. But I, I've only ever experienced one time in my life. And it wasn't me, it was somebody else. One time that you get that conversation that people always talk about when you're a kid at VBS or in Sunday school when they're using that phrase of, you're just a really loving and kind person and then somebody comes up and says, hey, I've got to know what's different about you and yeah. you get this golden yeah. opportunity. I've only ever heard that happening once. The chances of that happening are very low. Yeah. But the chances of being able to actually share your faith and, and working at different ways to do that well, mm -hmm. I think is the way the gospel is spread. The gospel is words. I mean, we can adorn the gospel with good works, and in fact, we're commanded to do that. But at some point, talking is the operative way to share your faith with your right. coworkers. Now, even when we say that, I feel like the people listening are probably getting a little bit, I mean, that, that makes you kind of uncomfortable even to hear that, because there are so many taboos in the workplace 
there is an increased sensitivity, I think, in the world we live in right now to evangelizing at your coworkers. So I love the impact that you've been able to have with people at your work, through other avenues. How would you coach somebody? How would you counsel and encourage somebody about being vocal about their faith Mm -hmm. in the workplace? What are the things to do? What are the things to avoid? Pro tips for that. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's, first, I think it's good to talk about these things Mm -hmm. in the workplace. We, another common phrase that we've heard is don't talk about at the dinner table, don't talk about religion or politics. Mm -hmm. And what that's created is our current political environment where we're not able to talk constructively about religion or politics. Right. And so we're not able to have a conversation about reasonable differences of opinion. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's you don't agree with me, so you're wrong, or and sometimes you're evil. Right. And so just at a, a high-level principle, I think those things not only should be talked about, but they need to be talked about. Yeah, I think Because so. a lot of these people in these areas, and I work with some of the most brilliant people I've ever met, mm-hmm. and they haven't considered some of these questions mm-hmm. because it's a hard question, and they don't know what to do with it. And it's not that they're intentionally avoiding it and being a coward. They, you tend to not think about things that you don't have the answer for as much as the things that are right in front of you. Exactly. So, um, but one of the other things, I was in kind of the boat that you mentioned, uh, being scared of or wary of and skeptical of sharing the gospel with people at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I had a friend that taught me was he went through the, when Jesus called the fishermen. Mm-hmm. And when the fishermen go fish, they are, you know, looking for the ways to get the most fish. So they don't get to pick when they go fish, right? They go fish when fish are available. Right. So that's early morning and that's evening, uh-huh. right? And then Jesus says, come, you're going to be fishers, fishers of men, etc." So my question to myself is, where do I fish and how do I fish? Uh-huh. And that looks a few different ways for me in my job. Mm-hmm. I have a nine to five. It usually looks like breakfasts before work. Uh-huh. It looks like lunches and happy hours or dinner after work. Right. Um, one uniqueness of our culture is between two and three, the cafe downstairs puts out fresh cookies and people just end up, they'll set 30 minutes on the, on the calendar just to sit and drink coffee. Yeah. And as a coffee lover, I know you and I have had a, a lot of, uh, many a number of good cups of coffee. Yes. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So that's unique to my area. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's also, we have an open workplace kind of culture, really collaborative. So you, I've had conversations with people about Jesus mm-hmm. in, in the office with other coworkers. Yeah. Um, and some people will say, well, I don't think it's appropriate in the office to share to share the gospel. Right. And they may be right, but what I what I think is challenging about that language is whether or not it's appropriate assumes a master. Uh-huh. And if you're asking is it appropriate, you're assuming a master. So I would ask, mm-hmm. well, who is that master? What is it? Mm-hmm. Because I think a more effective and helpful question is is it effective? Right. Not is it appropriate, but is it effective? So if our goal is for you know, to see Revelation 7, 9 come, mm-hmm. that we would all be, all tribes, tongues, and nations would be around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. If we really want that to happen and we believe it can and will, we want to be a part of it. Yeah. So what's effective? Well, is it sharing the gospel in the middle of your 
business analytics presentation. <laughs> your, your, your Monday morning metrics meeting. The last slide in your presentation right. is, the, is the bridge. Right, right, right. <laughs> it, chances are that's not going to be very effective. Yeah. But there are very effective ways to, to do that. And that's yeah. different for everybody's context. And so what it requires is someone being very honest with themselves, which turns out is very difficult. Yeah. So asking the question, is the reason that I'm not sharing because I'm scared? Because if it is because you're scared, that's okay. You just want to figure out how do I get through that? Uh And I find normally it's increasing either competence or confidence. Mm -hmm. So walking alongside with somebody doing it Mm -hmm. and just committing with a friend. We have at, at the company that I work for, National Instruments in Austin, Texas, uh, we have a group of seven people that we all get together and I'm teaching how to make disciples. Yeah. And the goal is to be able to do that in our context, at the gyms we go to, at the restaurant, the taco places we go to, the coffee shops and our work. Yeah. And to have conversations with people because I operate off the assumption that if Jesus says the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few, what he means, you know, and I'm not a scholar like you are, I'm just a layman. What he means is the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the... It turns out when you look that up in right. Greek, the, the, it means the harvest is plentiful. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so my thought is, you know, being in sales, I get no all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm calling people asking, you know, you know I, I think I can help you. And I really do believe I have an incredible, incredibly powerful platform and product that I'm working with to help uh-huh. scientists and engineers. And a lot of them don't want it. But it turns out if I call enough people, there are people that not just will listen to me, but say, you called it the perfect time. Oh my gosh, I have no idea how to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert in instrumentation and I really needed somebody. Right. And there are people just like that from a spiritual perspective Mm -hmm. that God has been waiting their heart and their soul, oftentimes through really difficult family circumstances, through uh, existential crises, through mm-hmm. um, losing their job, through uh, through a myriad of different challenges, where they're asking the question, "Who am I, and what am I doing here?" And they get down to that core level, and they don't know what to do with it, mm-hmm. and they want to at least have a conversation about it. And I, usually, when you get into a conversation about spiritual things, it's, it's easier, but the transition in is really difficult, right? I think in, in almost every conversation or at least in every relationship that you have, it's one of the things that would be helpful is if we would spend more time thinking about how to engage people in such a way that we actually get to know them on a mm-hmm. deeper level. So whether it's at work or, or, or somewhere else, this could be you're playing in a softball league mm-hmm. and you know all the people that are on your team, but you don't really know them at any mm-hmm. kind of deep level. And part of it's because it's easy to avoid engaging with people. It's very easy to stay on a surface level. It's really easy to shy away from things that might lead to something a little bit deeper. But but I think it, the more we practice that and the more we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, as, as we follow him, he's doing that with us. As we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is bringing things up out of our hearts into our prayers and into the discussions we're having. The better we get at engaging and loving other people, the more we're able to find out what matters Mm -hmm. to them, what they care about, what they dream about, what makes them angry, what they hope for in the future, the more opportunity we're going to have to share what matters to us. And uh, if we're Christians, then what matters most to us in the entire world is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so 
there's ways to do that do that that are really good and there are ways to do that that kind of make you cringe mm-hmm. but i've found that if you get good at just loving people engaging them talking mm-hmm. to them about what matters it's pretty easy to talk about what matters to you yeah i i think that's a really good and helpful point because usually people in america um, they want to know that you care about them before they want to know what you think mm-hmm. or your opinion or your, your position on something. So what we found in Austin is 70% of people in Austin, so it's about 2 million people in the city of Austin, mm-hmm. 70% of them will never go to church. Hmm. And that comes from a survey asking, one, would you go to church on Christmas? Right. If not, would you go to church on Easter? If both of those were no, we assumed you're probably not going to go to church. Yeah. Right? So it it's even if you built the church right outside their front door, they would go out their back door right? because they don't want to go to church. And we can talk about why that is yeah. because of, of past hurts, because of they see hypocrisy in the church. There are a lot of different mm-hmm. reasons, a lot of them very valid, um, but they have an experience that gives them a disposition towards church. But what we always also found is that between 75 and 80% of them, of that 2 million, would talk to you about Jesus. Hmm. And so it's not that people don't want to talk about Jesus. It's that they're not going to go to church to find him in a lot of circumstances. Yeah. Which is a really powerful thing to consider. There are coworkers of mine that we have fundamental, fundamentally different views on the world, but we do get to talk about Jesus and they enjoy it. And others that ask about Jesus or want to be taught about Jesus. And I think that's, that's really helpful for us to know and for us to consider um, because that is the harvest. That's the harvest that's plentiful that they really do want to have those conversations, but they don't really know what to do about it. And I think sometimes the disconnect is we read that in the Bible, we hear that at church, and maybe we just don't actually believe that about right. other people. Sometimes it comes from seeing that in action, having those conversations, but I really appreciate that encouragement because sometimes in the moment you forget that. Mm-hmm. You think, no, 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 they, they seem fine. They seem like they've got everything they want. They're content. They, they're living their life just fine. And it's like, no, if you believe what the Bible says, they actually do have a longing for God, however deeply it might be buried. Right. And this may not be the right time. You may, right. you may be shut down and you may be kept out of that part of their life, but... If you really believe anthropologically what the Bible says, everybody does have a longing to have a relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are one of those people that is a little bit skeptical of it or wondering, is this real? Um, I work, I'll give you a few examples. I work in an engineering company, some of the smartest people I've ever known. And I, I, I sit next to two of my favorite people. They are so enjoyable to sit with. We smile a lot. We laugh a lot. I get pranked a lot. I prank them a lot. You know, just some really fun things. Um, but those people seem strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person that sits to my left is one of the strongest women. I've always thought that she was just had everything together. Mm-hmm. And when I shared some of the really hard things that I was going through, she was going through very, very similar things mm. and was asking What's my purpose in life? I don't know what it is. Yeah. The guy next to me on the other side, his roommate, who was 24 years old, got in a car car crash and died suddenly one night. Mm. And he didn't have anybody taking care of him. And he was always a joyful, happy guy. And after talking to him a little bit, this girl next to me asked, "Who's you're taking care of everybody. Who's taking care of you? Wow. And through misty eyes, he said, 
he kind of shrugged. And so we went out and we got a meal to kind of talk about it. And I shared my story with them. Yeah. And, and then even my boss, he's asked, you know, what happens to us when we die? And if, if Jesus really is who he says he is, why are some of the people that follow him such bad people? Right. And each of those three people, the three people I work closest with at work, wanted to read the Bible with me. Whoa. And so, and that's not because of anything remarkable. It, I really do think it's because I genuinely cared for them. Mm-hmm. And when you genuinely care for people, one of the ways that I found is really helpful for getting into spiritual conversations mm-hmm. is first, genuinely caring for them. Right. And two, showing that you genuinely care for them just care for them. Yeah. And because you can, we talked about this just the other day, you can care for someone deeply and them not experience your care because communication is a very difficult thing. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways that I do that is asking how they're doing, just like you do every single day. Mm -hmm. And then when they say, oh, this is really tough. You know, my mom's really sick. Oh, how are you feeling about that? Or how are you dealing with that? Right. Depending on, you know, whether they're a more emotional person and are seeking emotional care or a more logic-oriented person or thinking, thinking practical care, mm-hmm. um, asking them that. And then as they tell you what they need, one, help them with it. Yeah. So the guy that sat next to me whose roommate passed away, um, he needed to repair some of his flooring. I said, I'm free tonight. Can I, well, let me come over and help you. Yeah. And he was floored. He felt really cared for, mm-hmm. and uh, he was floored. No pun intended. He was literally floored. He was literally floored. Yeah, but um, first asking, you know, asking if you can help meet that need, but then all asking them, can I pray for you for that? Mm-hmm. Is is that okay? Do you have a, you know asking someone what their need is, and you saying, can I ask God to to take care of that for you and help you? Yeah, and then you are the hand of God that helps to take care of that for them yeah. and to serve them. And I think that is a really helpful pairing of not just saying, mm, I'll pray for you. Right. But saying, I believe that God will help you with this and I'm committed to being a part of it. Yeah. Entering into their story and, and walking alongside them. And I love that. And I've seen you do that and seen the fruit of it. I want to take this a little bit different <clears throat> from a little bit different angle. You know, one thing that's difficult on this topic is a lot of people that work at churches have not worked in the workplace. Now, I think actually that trend is reversing. I think more people are going from the workplace to work at churches, but there's still a lot of people that have never worked in a corporate environment. They've never done anything but work for a church. And I mean, I think that's that's my own experience if you don't count my time at Subway <laughs> when I was in high school. Straight from college, seminary, working at church, I haven't been in that environment. And here I am trying to walk alongside people in the congregation who are in that environment every day. What are the things that you've experienced pastors, people that work at churches miss about the workplace when we're talking about faith and work? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one thing that would be really helpful for pastors in equipping their people for a life of ministry is to to be as practical as possible, to offer very practical, here is how I do this. Yeah. So a layer below in saying engage them with the gospel or share the gospel with them and say, mm-hmm. or provide training, however this looks like for your church. Yeah. It might not be most effective from the pulpit. Right. It may be more effective in some curriculum or bringing someone in to train or yeah. whatever, you know, whatever shepherding mechanism you have. 
but to equip them a layer deeper for how do I share the gospel with them? Yeah. Because usually most of the time, the reason that we end up bringing someone to church when they express interest in talking about God Mm -hmm. is because that's our best step. That's how we, that's the best thing we know to take care of them. But if we knew and were equipped and felt confident and competent for how to teach them about who God is and walk alongside with Mm -hmm. them and disciple them, quote unquote, just just start discipling them and bring them to our gathering with our church of people that are following God, that would be really powerful. Yeah. And so the more practical, I think people are motivated to do that. Mm -hmm. They just need it a little bit more practical. Right. Yeah. Um, So I know you've seen a lot of fruit doing this. What kinds of ministry things, what kinds of um, opportunities have you seen work really well? Either that you've organized or that a church has done well. Like if we're sitting here saying, okay, where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. There's obviously the individual component that, that we've covered. Learning to do that well, praying about that, stepping out mm-hmm. and taking the opportunities that are in front of you. But from a little bit bigger perspective, system-wise, groups, ministry-wise, what have you seen work really well to enable people to walk out their faith at work? Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good question because there are a few different there are a few different approaches and systems that I am taking now and have taken in the past. Mm-hmm. One that we're doing now is, you know, I think about um, when Jesus says, "Go therefore, making disciples, all nations, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey all I've commanded." Right. Not teaching them to know all I've commanded, yeah. but teaching them to obey all. So baptize and teach them to obey. Well, how do I find people that want to? be taught how to obey. If the harvest is plentiful, that means they are out there. So I have one of two things when I ask this question. Am I, do I have someone that I'm teaching to obey? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, you want to go find somebody. Yeah. If the answer is yes, you want to invest in them and help them find somebody. Mm-hmm. So that part I think is more consumable to us. The first part is how do I find somebody? Mm-hmm. So it can be somebody that is following Jesus right now, but needs some direction. So if you're 45 and have been walking with God for 15, 20, whatever it is, you have the gift of God to be able to teach them and help walk along with them. Right. Even if you've been following Jesus around the same time as them, your, your ability to synthesize your life experiences is really powerful. Yeah. I mean, God talks in the Proverbs about the, the glory of a gray hair, Right. So that is incredibly valuable. And when we, I'm talking to one one of the guys I'm discipling right now, he's talking about a guy he is investing in who's very young spiritually and some of the other people running around him and at what pace they're running. And I encouraged him to consider spiritual maturity, not through the lens of how long they've been spiritually engaged, Mm -hmm. but through their level of obedience. Yeah. And whether or not they are willing to say, this goes against what I want to do and I'm going to do it anyway because I know that God says to. Mm. And so when we're looking for those people, some can be believers, as the guy that I'm investing in is. Some could not be believers. Mm -hmm. And as I think about this through my sales lens, I think about it through business prospecting. Mm -hmm. If I have business, I nurture it and I try and bring it to close and, and help the customer. If I don't have business, I have to go find it. So if you don't have somebody that you can invest in, try and go find it, find somebody and engage with them. And that can be at your gym. 
That can be at your work. It can be at your areas of hobby, whatever that looks like. Um, find that those are the systems that we use. I've even, as far as practical things go, taking my own medicine, mm-hmm. I am a newer homeowner. I bought mm-hmm. my first house um, two and a half years ago, and I wanted to get to know my neighbors. But I'm a single guy living in a community that's primarily married couples between 40 and 50 with kids. And so I just, I didn't know what to do, but I fundamentally right. believe that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Yeah. So start and just do it and try yeah. and give yourself the freedom to look and feel like an idiot. Just yeah. try it. And so I went around and I met some of my neighbors and knocked on the door and I'm asking them, Hey, I'm Blake. I live down the street, just trying to care for my neighbors and get to know them a little bit, make sure everybody's taken care of. Um, is there anything that you need that I could ask God to help provide for you? Or is there anything that you need that I can help you with? Uh-huh. And we'd get to know each other and some didn't want to talk, but others thought it was so kind. They yeah. welcomed me into their house. They, I got to talk to a Vietnamese man who came over on a boat in 1978. And he mm-hmm. said 90% of the people on that boat died. Whoa. And so I got to learn his story. I got wow. to talk to an older woman up the street. I got to meet, I mean, just so many people. And I know that some of the introverts listening to the podcast might say, that sounds like my nightmare. Yeah. Um, and that's fine because what you're good at is going deep with people. Yeah. And um, so those relationships that you have engage them spiritually right. and, and see where people are open to uh, being the harvest or they are the harvest that God's talking about. Because if they're not, it's not your fault. Right. You couldn't get them to follow Jesus if you wanted to. That's a yeah. fundamentally supernatural thing. And I think when you give that responsibility to God, yeah, it makes it so much easier, less crippling because of failure, because you just, you recognize this isn't something I could do. Mm-hmm. So, well, man, thanks for sharing this on the podcast. And, and I can't believe it's been this long we haven't had you on. We're yeah. going to have you back yeah. on the podcast for sure. Um, Somebody's listening and saying, I want to go deeper into this. I want to learn more about this, or I want to just think about this at a deeper level. Who are some people, we've named a couple of things so far, but who are some people that have been really influential for you? Listening to, reading, blogs, books, what, what's what been the best stuff for you? Yeah. As far as books go, I think books have been really, really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Every Good Endeavor has been probably the most impactful for right. me, Yeah, and that's by... Tim Keller, mm-hmm. and the quote actually, you know me, I'm a, I have a great affection for jazz, I studied jazz in college. Yeah. The quote is actually a John Coltrane quote. Mm. Um, after he, in, at age 41, he decided to start, or he started following Jesus, and died at an early age because of his, he left, led a really fast lifestyle when he was younger. But he finishes a, conf, uh, a concert and feels like he, it was so worshipful, uh-huh. playing saxophone, that you know, that's kind of the end of his quote, but he just glories in being able to worship God through playing the saxophone. Uh-huh. And that's not a pastor. You know, he's not a pastor. Right, like exactly. Pastor, right. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a church service that was in a basement somewhere in New York City yeah. at 2 a.m. So, um, so every good endeavor is incredibly helpful. If you're looking for some really um, practical things, I would, I would recommend The Gospel at Work by Sebastian Traeger. Or if you're a Wayne Gruden fan, he actually wrote a really short book um, called Business for the Glory of God. That's helpful. Um, if, if you're looking for asking the question, how do I make decisions for my career? And 
how do I make them in a, in a biblical context? I think what I mentioned earlier, Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something, mm-hmm. is really, really powerful and offered me a lot of freedom in deciding to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Thanks, man, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast. Podcast.